it was basically because there's this uh, group called the Sons of Korah that produce these albums that all they are are psalms, right? And so I, I bought their album, and they actually did this in four parts. So it kind of seeped into my heart, and I thought, man, that would be just a good, a good series. And it's during Summer Spectacular, and I like poetry, so it would probably be easy for me to put stuff together, you know, and learn and get, get kind of the sermon together at the same time we're working on Summer Spectacular. But as I was studying through Psalm chapter 68, um, it, it became very apparent to me that this was not the easiest psalm in the world to do. And, and so there's a couple of reasons for that. One is there is 15 unique Hebrew words in Psalm 68 that she used nowhere else in the Bible. Also in Psalm chapter 68, virtually every name of God is used within Psalm chapter 68. And then I ran across some people that are much smarter than I am, okay, that, that said these words. Um, this, is, this is from Spurgeon, okay? And when you say Spurgeon, people are like, Spurgeon? What did he say? Right, that's the guy that, you know. Psalm 68 is the most difficult of all the psalms to interpret, and there is no general agreement either as to its meaning as a whole or in many of its details. And that, that's Spurgeon. Do you know what I mean? And then it's the USB handbook on psalms, right? And, and they say both as a text and a meaning, this psalm is the most difficult of all psalms to understand and interpret. There is no discernible unity in the composition. And if you read through it, it is tough to get a discernible unity because it is so old. It's one of the oldest psalms. In fact, last week I told you that um, David didn't really write it. He just chose it to be sung as the ark is brought into Jerusalem. It's kind of like modern day Chris Tomlin. He hears a song and he records it and makes it his own. He didn't write it, but he records it. I'm not making fun of him. I'm just saying that's what, that's what he does. I like Chris Tomlin. Love him. I can play all his music because it's all in G. Three, this is the Jewish study Bible. Its vocabulary includes, and this is where I got this from, 15 words found nowhere else in the Bible, plus other rare words, adding to the difficulty of interpreting it. Indeed, much of it remains obscure, and may, many consider it to be the most difficult psalm in the Psalter. I guess that's how you say that, Psalter. So yeah, so... If you read through it this week and you're wondering what in the world's going on, you're in good company, okay? So you're, you're in very, very good company. So today we're in Psalm chapter 68, and I think we need to start with this. This is a Christmas tie from a friend of mine named Randy Stores. On July 8th in his church, and he's been at that church probably about eight months now, their church always has Christmas in the J July, on the second Sunday in July. They've done it every year. It's a traditional thing. So this is his tie that, um, that he wore on that particular day. And so they did Christmas music and they did all kinds of stuff like that. And so it's kind of like Christmas in July, kind of like thinking about December. And, and that got me thinking a little bit. Number one, um, I'm currently wearing my Christmas tie today. And Yeah, and then two, in 98 degree weather, and especially with our youth that came back from Florida that, that sweated like pigs, though they're not pigs, but they sweated like pigs while they were there, um, I just began to think, uh, maybe we could just look at some, some cooler weather photographs. So this is what I came up with. 
the snow. This is actually, this American flag is outside my house, and that was this past year. I just thought that was very nice. And then Farmington that took that picture, somebody did, and posted it online. And then this is somebody's house. I just kind of grabbed this one for some reason. I don't know why I grabbed this in the past, but I had that a part of my repertoire. And so, you know, it's kind of that cooler, kind of nice, kind of you're in your house with hot cocoa and, and, the, and the snow's on the ground, and it's just like a peaceful time. I know some of you hate snow because you can't drive in it. That's because you're North Carolinians. But when you look out of your house window and you see it, right? And you're like, well, I'm a North Carolinian too, okay? So you look out and you see it, you're like, wow, this is really nice. It's really beautiful. And it covers up like all the gray stuff. You know what I mean? The gray stuff and the dark stuff, and it just covers it up and it makes it beautiful. In fact, at night, when the sun shines, you can see for miles, and it's nighttime. In fact, we've sledded, if that is a word, many times in, in December um, and January or whenever, uh, when snow came. So then, this is one of my favorite pictures. Now, if you can't see that, that is a snowman with, a, with an iPhone and he's looking at it. And focus on it just in case you can't see that. So that's it. Um, how many of you have noticed that here lately there se seems to be like a construction boom around the area? You've seen that? I mean, everywhere. Everywhere there's construction. So here's some pictures from our area of construction. Um, this is, of course, in our area, Beecher or Stage Road. Everybody knows where that is. And here's some other pictures. I think they're putting in a circle down here on Farmington Road. Um, is what they're doing. Two of them, not just a, two. Two circles, um, which will help, but I'll tell you this, the average individual does not understand a traffic circle. Um, there's one near my house. Um, they don't. They stop. They, yeah, it, I don't even get me started on that because then I won't be very religious at that moment in time. So here's some other, here's some other pictures of road construction. These are the same pictures. And here's some. Road close to traffic. There's a detour. This right here is on I-40. They're going to replace those bridges on I-40, take them completely down and make, make them totally new. That is right across from Tanglewood. That's what they're doing there. And then there's this one, um, which is the crane right there at I-40. And then the next one, I can't still, someone sent me this picture. I still can't figure out exactly where this one is, but it's somewhere in our area where they're building this. And then here's one that I really like, Peace Haven Road. Look, I, I don't know why people were so slow to get this done. Peace Haven Road has been a bear for a very long period of time, if you've ever traveled on it. You, you stop at the stoplight, you wait, there's no turning lane, it's just really awkward. It's been awkward for years, so finally they're getting a bigger bridge there at Peace Haven, Peace Haven Road. That is a beautiful picture. Here's the next one of Peace Haven Road. And that, somebody actually snuck up onto the bridge. Nobody took him to jail or anything and took that picture. So that's the top of the bridge of Peace Haven Road. Bridges and roads are things that are built in order to enable people to get places, right? And in a country or, or in a city or, or even out here, you have to have good roads to get to places so that you can visit people, so you can get your groceries, so you can get places, and they can actually come to visit you if you like that sort of thing. You might not like people visiting you, and, and maybe when you get a house, you, 
you just make sure that people don't get to your house unless they have a four-wheel drive or something like that from the army. But nonetheless, there, there it is. So there, there is roads. So with, with snow in mind and cooler weather, and with road building in mind, people being able to get to places, I want you to turn in your Bible to Psalm chapter 68. Psalm chapter 68. And we're going to begin reading in verse 4. Reading with verse 4. Now this is what it says. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exalt before him. Exalt before him. There are four commands in that verse. First one is, Sing to the Lord, sing to God, right? The second one is sing praises to his name. The third one is lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. And the fourth command, or the imperative, is his name is the Lord, exalt before him. So here are four commands for you and I to sing praises to God, to worship him. Four commands in a row. So when I read a verse like this, the first thing I, I think is, why do we have to have four commands? Couldn't be done with just one. Sing to God, it's a command. Well, he's trying to make some type of emphasis here concerning this. Now, there is a phrase that is in question in this verse. And this is the phrase. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. That is, that is a problem command, um, or, or we have difficulty understanding exactly what that means. Now, in English, when you look at that, you're like, lift up a song. Yeah, of course, that just means to sing loudly uh, to him who rides through the deserts. Well, once you get to rise through the deserts, or your translation might have heavens. Anybody's translation have heavens? Yeah. Um, you begin to wonder, what in the world is that? What in the world is a desert? What in the world is a heaven? Well, I'll have to tell you that just right from the start, that the word there for de deserts or your heavens is actually desert. It's actually desert. This is the word for it. It's Araba. And this is where it is on the map. Araba. Sorry, I said that wrong. Araba. If you have Judah, which is straight up, you see that right there? And you have Edom down here. It is the valley, the desert valley in between those two places. So the Hebrew word here in this passage of scripture is Araba. Araba. So if you read it, he who rides, right, through the desert or the Araba, his name is the Lord. Araba. Araba wilderness. His name is the Lord. So once you get the middle, you begin to think about, okay, well, what about the other stuff? His name is the Lord is the word Jah. Jah is the Lord. Jah is only used here in Scripture. Jah referring to God, Jesus, his name is the Lord. Right at the beginning of this phrase, it says, lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. That particular word, lift up, is a Hebrew word that means to build. And if you take it 
So what it really means and what it's used for in their culture, it is build a highway. So when you read that particular phrase, a, the translation should be build a highway, because song's not even in the original. Build a highway to him who rides through the desert. His name is the Lord. Build a highway. Now, where else in Scripture do we have a command for us to build a highway for the Lord in the wilderness? Well, in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, it says this. In the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert, or the Arabah, a highway for our God. This, of course, if you know the Bible, is what John in the New Testament said that he was doing. He said, I am from the wilderness, and I'm making straight an Arabah, straight a pathway to the Lord. This scripture, this command means this. Yes, we're supposed to sing to God. That is a command. We are supposed to sing praises to his name. That is, that is a command. But the other command is this. You are to build a highway and make a way for the Lord to come to you. Prepare a way for the Lord, his name is the Lord, to come to you. Make a way for God to come to you into your life. And what type of a highway is that made of? It is made of praise. It's not very difficult to make a highway to the Lord. It's, it's, it's made of praise. We had a phenomenal worship set this morning before this moment. And worship time in church is us making a highway, making a pathway for God to come to us and speak to us. It opens our heart to him. It says this, Lord, I want you to come and talk to me. I want you to come and be in my life. I want you to come and do great things inside of me. When we sing to the Lord, when we sing praises to his name, we make a highway that says, Lord, you are invited into my life right now at this moment to do whatever you will with your power and whatever you determine to do. You make a highway for God to come talk to your heart. See, there's ways that you and I decide not to make room for God in our lives. When we sin, or if we have a bad attitude, or if we just don't want to praise God on a particular Sunday morning or during the week, it cuts off that road into our heart. We no longer invite God to come and, and do works inside of us. We'd rather him be somewhere else. When we praise, we build a highway for him to come in. My... my um, as you know, my Aunt Nan passed away a couple of, couple of weeks ago, and, um, and I was able to talk to my, my Uncle Jim a little while. And my Uncle Jim has been someone that has always um, complimented people around him. He's, he's always complimented people around him. And he makes you feel like a, a million bucks, really, when he compliments you, because he, he just has a way about him. 
So I was sitting there talking with him a couple weeks ago, and, and I was talking about that and asking him how he does it and why does he do it and, and all that kind of stuff. Well, with the question of why he does it, this is what he said. I thought it was very insightful. He said this. The way to a person's heart is through compliment. Everyone loves a compliment. Now, isn't that true? If you have that situation where you really want to make a connection with somebody and you give them an authentic compliment, you have just built a road to their heart. Right? And they have joined with you because you have been positive toward them. Now, if you and I are created in the image of Almighty God, don't you think that it works that way as well? When we compliment and we praise God for his greatness and for who he is and how grateful we are that he has shown grace to us and we are very thankful for that and we lift up our hearts in praise to him, don't you think he's up in heaven going, man, I really like that. I'm coming to them today. I'm coming to them today. Does God need our praise? No. Does God like our praise? Yes. One of the reasons that you know that is because it's commanded in Scripture. Another way you know that is because over and over again, you have these people that continually praise God and they open their hearts to Him and you see mighty works happen as a result of that. We are commanded to build up a road for God to come to us and work inside of us. And that is through praise. So you build a highway to the Lord. His name is Jah, or the Lord. Exalt before him. So, the text continues. Well, let me ask you this question, just because I just want to ask it. Have you made a, a way for God lately? Have you built up a road for God so that he knows that he's welcome to work in your life? Has your heart been hardened toward him? Or, or maybe you just haven't thought about praising him. Or maybe you haven't thought about praying to him lately. Or maybe you haven't thought about even connecting with him lately. Have, have you had moments lately where you have paused and made a highway for God to come and work in your heart, in your soul, in your life? Have you had personal moments in your vehicle where, where you, you have praised God and nobody else was around? Some of you, the way you sing, need to do it that way. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding a little bit, but I'm trying to, right. In a service like this, I'm, I'm not going to necessarily tell you that you have to sing every word of the songs that are up here on the screen. My question for you is this. Is your heart open when you're not singing? So you can stand and maybe not be as familiar with the song, or maybe you just don't want to mess up everybody else's worship around you. Fair enough? But if you stand there with a heart that's open where you're connecting with the words and you're praying them to God, though it is silent, you're still singing to God. You're still making a highway to, for God to come and do something in your life. I'll tell you this, some people have a great voice and do not make highways for God to come to their hearts. 
Sometimes people with great voices just like the fact that they have great voices and they like the attention that they get from singing that and, and they're thinking the whole time they're worshiping, man, I really hope that three rows over Bob hears me singing and he just knows that I really love the Lord. I mean, come, come on. That heart is also closed to God and is not making a highway to God because it's all about you. When we make a heart highway, highway to God, we are worshiping God with our heart open. Whether it's silent or loud, good singing, bad singing, we are making a highway for God to come and commune with us and be a part of what we are doing. We are saying we want you to be a part of our lives because we need you that much. Is everybody tracking have you made a way for God to commune with your heart? If I was to follow you around for the next week in your vehicle and in your house, what percentage of worship music would be played during that week? You see, there are music, and I think you should have this balanced. I'll, I'll tell you, I listen to secular music. When I'm at the beach, I listen to surf music. I love Wipeout. I love the beat of Wipeout. I like Beach Trash. If you've ever heard that Beach Trash song where she hangs out her clothes and then there's some rich guy that says you can't hang out your clothes anymore. Nobody knows those songs. Those are classics. Some people do. Those are classics. If you want to know what album to get, next time you go to the beach, you just come see me. I have beach music. It's good stuff. So I, so I like secular music. But, here's the deal. You have to have a balance. A lot of secular music has wordings to it that does not invite God to come into your life and work. A lot of secular music over and over is so far from what God wants from your life, He is not going to join you. You are not building a road. In fact, you're blowing that road up. It's what you're doing. And so, if I was to follow you around... For a, for a week, would there be enough religious, biblical, praise type of music to say, hey, these people are really serious about God being a part of what they're doing during the week? Yeah, they, they listen to, to country, and I'll forgive them for that, but they, they, they still have this, this praise music going on as well. Your balance needs to be in favor of God and not the world. If it's 50-50, it's not the right balance. 60, 40, you're getting there. You need to listen to more spiritually motivated music than you do worldly motivated music. You might think I'm crazy, but I'm, I know this to be true. The worldly motivated music leads you to do worldly motivated things. Religious motivated music leads you to do godly things. I'll even tell you this. It is my Christian music collection that has probably played the biggest role in keeping me in line with God in my life. I listen to music more than I read the Bible. Right? Yeah. Because it's on 24-7 <laughs> in my house. Love music. Have you made a way for him. Have you made a way for him? Now, let's get to the next one. 
Verse five says this, father of the fatherless, protector of the widows is God in his holy habitation. Father of the fatherless, protector of the widows is God in his holy habitation. That is not a question, that is a statement. It is basically, father of the fatherless, protector of the widows, don't you know God is still in his holy habitation? Someone that is fatherless is alone, is, is the metaphor there. Somebody that feels alone. There are actually people that are fatherless, that do not have parents. They, they, are, they are alone, they feel alone. There's a void in their life. The widow has lost her husband. She feels weak and alone and unprotected. Here in this passage of scripture, it says he's the father of the fatherless and the protector of the widows. So he's, he comes in and he becomes the family member to the fatherless that feels alone. And he comes in and protects the widow who needs protection. And she also feels alone because he's in his holy habitation. So what in the, why couldn't we have just stopped at father of the fatherless, protector of the widows, and we would have gotten it? Why did they put is God in his holy habitation? I'll tell you why. Because people that are really fatherless and feel alone and people that are widows that have lost their husband that really feel alone oftentimes think that God has left them alone as well. And what this verse of scripture is saying is you might think that God has left you alone but God is still in the place he has always been. He is not moving. He is always going to be there looking at you. He's always going to be there caring for you. He's always going to be there trying to connect with you. God hasn't left you, though you are fatherless. God hasn't left you, though you are a widow and you're alone and you feel defenseless. God is still in his holy habitation. In other words, God is still for you. God is still there. God is still with you. And God is on your side. Come on. To further that metaphor, we could do something like this. Man, I, I just don't feel like singing today. I just don't feel like singing today. I, I feel hopeless. I feel rejected. I feel alone. I came to church and I'm, and I'm sitting back here in a seat and I feel alone in an empty room. Yeah, people were really nice and they said, they said hi to me, but they really don't know what's going on in my heart. I'm really kind of depressed and I really, I really don't feel like singing. I feel like I'm alone in a crowded room. I don't feel right. I don't feel like singing? Where is God? This passage of scripture says, you might feel that way, but God feels differently about you. You might feel like you can't sing, but God is still loving you and caring for you and concerned about what's going on in your life. You, you might feel, feel bad, you might feel hopeless, but, but God is still exactly where he's always been. He is still for you. He is still with you. And he's giving you the strength to make it through this day. This continues in verse 6. It says, God sees the solitary in a home. In other words, the one that doesn't have a home, he places them in a home. What home could God possibly place you in? Well, first and foremost, his family. If you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're in my family. 
and I'm in your family because we are all united by the same blood that washed away all of our sins. So first and foremost, he places you into that family. Here's another thing that God does. God oftentimes gives you friends to take the place of where you feel lonely. Now, here's the trick. Sometimes those friends are in our past that God has placed in our life, and they're not in our present. Sometimes what we have done is we have disconnected from friends of our past that were good friends, that were good for us. And we, and we, and we progressed here, right, instead, and then all of a sudden we're alone. And, and relationships aren't working out, and, and we, feel, we feel alone, and, and we're wondering, you know, God is in his holy habitation, but where are my friends? Maybe the thing you need to do is to go back to the friends of your past that always stuck with you through thick and thin. In the last three years, this has been more apparent to me than any other time period in my life. There are people I haven't seen for years that all of a sudden back here, I had really good friends and, and I still have the really good friends, but they're from my past and there's some stability because God takes the lonely and gives them a family. God takes the lonely and gives them friends. God takes the lonely and provides for that need. Sometimes in trying to be cool and trying to cut off and try to do all this kind of stuff and move to this port, port where you're, you're better than all that bringing up you had, right? Sometimes God brings you to a place where you're alone, where you have to go back to your past to realize the value of what you had here that you detached from when you went there. Is everybody tracking with me? Sometimes your friends are in your past. Sometimes your friends are in your future. But this is what I know. God takes the people that feel alone and he surrounds them with people that love them. First in his family, and then also in friendships. I would just like to say this. This is the brilliance, by the way, of adoption. I have counseled many people where their womb will not produce children. They can't produce them. And God will not allow them to produce children for, for whatever reason. But the people that that has happened to that have decided to adopt have become a part of God's plan for the lonely have become a part of God's plan for those, that, those kids that do not have parents Maybe there's a faith line in them and, and they are getting saved or they're getting in tune with about what, I don't know how it goes. But he takes those kids and he places them into a family because God takes the lonely and places them in a family. If you're in this room and you, you've adopted children, um, you are a part of what God's doing in the world. He's taking the lonely and placing them into a family. It is part of the redemption plan. By the way, on a spiritual level, I was a part of a family that was horrific. It's full of sin. Because Jesus Christ died on the cross, he adopted me into his family, into a holy family. That is much better for my life. I was an orphan, but now I'm a child of the king. God does that. 
He leads out prisoners to prosperity. Prisoners to prosperity. Now, you need to think in terms of wartime. It, I don't know if you know this or not, but there's um, two different types of countries in the world. Those that use metric and those that spin to the moon. Think about that. Right? There's also those that have been conquered and those that haven't been conquered. America's never been conquered. In this day and age, back here, children of Israel had been conquered. People were conquering people all the time. And sometimes prisoners were in jail because of things that they did wrong. And sometimes prisoners were in jail because they just got conquered and they were thrown in jail because they were a threat to the new world order. So when a, a Jewish person or someone in this time period read, um, he leads out the prisoners to prosperity, that word prosperity is actually freedom. And so even if you were conquered and in jail or conquered in a way that and, and you didn't have freedom anymore, God is in his holy habitation and he is going to be on the move one day and he's going to take you out of that confinement and give you freedom. It was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful um, thing for them to hear. So in other passages of scripture, um, it, would, it would go something like this. Psalm 1014, you have been the helper of the fatherless. Next. Oh Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will enclose your ear. Next screen. To do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man may strike terror no more. If you turn over in your Bibles, and I, I'll have to look at this passage, to Psalm chapter 107. Psalm chapter 107. Verse 10. It says these words. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and, and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor and they fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of the darkness in the shadow of death, and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. God frees those who are in prison. But not all of them. You see, in this passage, we see that it's the ones that cry out to God and ask forgiveness and turn to him that he frees. Those that do not remain in that prison. This is also why back in Psalm chapter 68, verse, um, verse 6, at the latter part of that, it says, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. He leaves them there. Because if you don't make a way for God to your heart, he doesn't come. He doesn't come. Um... Anyone ever heard the word Zalman? Zalman? Anyone ever hear the word Zalman? 
Never heard the word. Zalman is actually a, um, a tree area in, in Jerusalem. In Judges chapter 6, I think um, some people were cutting trees in Zalman. Zalman actually means gray, dark, And another word that I can't think of right now. But I'm not depressed about it. Okay? So gray and dark. It's like a gray and dark and weary. Weary land. That's, that's what that means. Zalman actually means that. So, so Zalman. So if you've ever felt that way, you, you have felt that way. Now, verse 7 says this. Oh God, when, you're, when you went out before your people... When you march through the wilderness, Selah. So, of course, that's referring to the exodus from Egypt. But then we get to this little Selah thing. And Selah, when you get there, actually means like a, a, a musical buildup, right? So, so what they did, it's a strange place for them to stop, actually. Oh, God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, you, you expect that to keep going. But if, if they were actually leading worship, they would stop right there and there, there would be like a... A, a prelude to it. It, like, it would like build up, right? Do you remember when Nicole was doing that thing over here during that one song, What a Wonderful Name It Is, right? And there was a, a piano part. We weren't, wasn't singing. I mean, it, it was, guys, it was, it was 30 minutes ago. You should be able to remember that. I mean, I'm getting older, but I remember, I remember that. You know, and she built it up, she built it up, and then it was like, boom, she hit that bridge, and, and she did this. She did this right here. Right? You see that? Right? She did, she did that over here. And then somehow or another she continued to play with that same intensity with what head. It's an amazing, amazing feat that she does. Absolutely amazing. And by the way, that was a compliment because that's a way to your heart. Um, 21 years, I'm not stupid. So anyway, it's like a buildup, like a buildup. Well, there's a buildup here. And it builds up, and it builds up, and it builds up, and it builds up. And then, at the opportune moment when the music is at its loudest, these are the words that the people of the children of Israel would sing. Before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel, reign in abundance, O God, you shed abroad. You restored your inheritance as it languished, your flock found a dwelling in it. In your goodness, O God, you provided for the needy. The Lord gives the word. The women who announce the news are a great host. The kings of the armies, they flee. They flee. The women at home divide the spoil. Though you men lie among the sheepfolds, the wings of a dove covered with silver, its pinions with shimmering gold. When the Almighty scatters kings there, let snow fall on Zalman. All right, so here's the deal. Okay? You have this. And I'm not a drummer. Right? And then all of a sudden, uh-oh. He's moving in the wilderness. We're thinking about that, man. He really did that in the past. That is an amazing story. God arose. His power is moving. And then all of a sudden, boom! The earth quaked. And power was moving of Almighty God. And victory was to be had. 
And the land that was parched, that didn't have any rain on it, is land now that has rain because God has come in and he's restored. And it moves and it moves and it moves. And the victory is so great that the women who are back at the camp are now able to take the spoil from the victory and give it out to the people around. Why? Because God in his power has moved. God has moved because the status of his people needed to change. The status of his people of being in darkness and in sin needed to change to hope in him. The people that were fatherless needed to change to having a family. The people that were widowed needed to change to being protected. There needed to be a status change with God's people. And so God moved and, the, and he moved in the wilderness while you were in that wilderness. When you didn't know which way was up and the power was going and it got louder and louder. All of a sudden he moved in the earthquake and you felt the status change. You felt the, the, the feeling of you had no worth to be in, in, in great worth and it built and built. And God's victory was so much, there was so much plunder and he blessed you so much that you were able to distribute it. So in this passage where the women, who by the way, and I'm just saying, they were at home. They were just at home. It was so much, the blessings went to them and they were able to distribute it. And even the ones that had to stay back, the guys that had to stay back and keep the sheep fold was a part of that victory. Look, you see this? Sheep fold. You don't want me fighting a war for you. You see this? You want that guy fighting the war for you. Muscles bigger than my legs. I mean, it, it's great. That's the guy you want out there. His victory and God moving with him blessed me back at home when I was doing the job that I was designed to do. Are, are you tracking? And when God moved, he, he, stayed, he changed the status. He made him victorious. He made me victorious. He changed us to where we were winners rather than losers. And it says, all the kings were scattered and there was snow on Zalman. The gray, the dark, and the weary was covered up with the snow of peace and prosperity that only God can bring. Come on, church. And you sit and you look out and it's just beautiful. The old has passed away and the new is here to stay. So you might feel great today. <laughs> you might feel like a nobody. You might be a little frustrated in your life and have some darkness there, some weariness there. This is what our text is telling you today. You need to prepare a way, a highway to the Lord that says, hey, I want you to be a part of my life. I'm worshiping you. You're a great God and you're always with me. Even though I feel like you're not, you're always with me. And I'm preparing a way for you. And then just watch God move. Because God will move in your life in such a way that he will scatter all the stuff that has been pushing you down and he'll give you freedom from it 
like snow and the peace that comes with that. That is our God.